0: Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. This week, I'm bringing you a talk that I did at Sutz Youth Camp in Melbourne in January 2021. I'm sharing it now because this is a series of talks about the stupid stuff Jesus' disciples did, and I just released a book all about the same thing. It's called... A Dozen Disappointing Disciples, How to Do Stupid Stuff and Still Change the World. If you like the talk, you'll like the book. Just head to tomfrench.com.au forward slash disciples to check it out and even get a free sample. Alright, that's all for now. I hope you enjoy the talk. Recently, uh, we had New Year's Eve. Uh, which probably you all experienced because you're all here and you're more than like 19 days old, 16, 16 days old, so you've had a, a New Year's Eve. And my problem with New Year's Eve is that there's always too much expectation on New Year's Eve. Like you always want to have the best night and then there's so much pressure put on it that it's very rare that you have a really good night. It's almost always a letdown. Uh, When I was younger, growing up in Sydney, I would just have one place in Sydney near the harbour where I would go with my friends every year. We would sit there, we would watch the fireworks on the Harbour Bridge, and it was great. But eventually there were just too many crowds. I got sick of that. And so the next year... My friend said, oh, we've got a house near the beach. Do you want to come along? And I was like, that sounds really good. So I went to the house near the beach. We sat around. We chatted. We played board games. We ate good food. We watched the fireworks on TV. We went to bed. And then we woke up late the next morning, had a great breakfast, and got to swim. I was like, that was a really good New Year's Eve, maybe the best New Year's Eve I've ever had. So the next year, I said, all right, I'm not going to put too much pressure on this night. I'm just going to have the most relaxing night I can. Low key, it's going to be great. And so I decided I was going to stay home. My housemates were there. They were going to invite some friends over. So uh, we were hanging out. We played a, a board game at home. It was a very boring board game about the London Underground I don't know why that was fun. It wasn't, actually. Uh, we watched a movie. It was Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which was all right, but I'd seen it before. And then at 10 o'clock, the friends went home. Uh, my, friend, my One of my housemates, she went to bed. Uh, her husband stayed up, at ten, and this was 10 o'clock, and then we spent the next two hours just sitting around doing nothing. Then I watched the fireworks on TV. My friend went and did the washing up, and I played games on my phone. I was like, this was the worst New Year's Eve. I was hoping for something relaxing and fun, and it was unpleasant and relaxing but dull (laughs) and then I got a phone call and it was from my sister and my sister had invited me to go to the city with her and to go and watch the fireworks uh, next to the the harbour and I hadn't wanted to do that too much pressure She was there, my family was there, a bunch of my friends were there, but I was just staying home to have a relaxing night, which turned out to be a dull night. And then she rings me and I say, hello. And she says, Tom. And I say, what? And she says, I'm engaged. I'm like, oh. And she's like, yes. And what happened was her boyfriend, who had just become a fiance, like during the fireworks next to the water, had got down on one knee and pulled out a ring, which was my grandmother's ring. I didn't know he'd Taken it from her, but he'd had, (laughs) and then, and then gave it to her, and then they dropped it, and it fell on the ground. They lost it, and they found it again, and they came back and found my family and friends like we're engaged, and like yeah, and they're hugging and laughing and then popping champagne. They had a great time, and where was I? I was sitting on my couch playing phone games. I missed out on one of the most important nights in the life of my family because I just wanted to have a relaxing night. I didn't want to put too much pressure on New Year's Eve and I could have had a great New Year's Eve and I missed it. It was the worst. Yeah. (laughs) Now, now that you know a little bit how I feel, how do you reckon Thomas felt when he missed out on seeing Jesus risen from the dead? it would be at least two and a half times worse, I reckon, than how I felt. It says in the passage, as you can see, it says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, and I'm very thankful to God that my parents called me Thomas and not Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So what had happened at this point in the story, Jesus died, and then uh, some of the women went to the tomb, and they looked in the tomb, and Jesus' body wasn't there, and they ran back to the men, And they said, Jesus' body isn't there. And the men are like, that can't be right. You're women. You don't know what you're talking about. Then they went down and looked in the tomb and they're like, you're right. He's not there. I'm sorry that we doubted you. I don't know if they actually said that because... You know, there were men back in the old days, uh, and and they found that Jesus wasn't there. And so then they went, and they were hanging out in a locked room, and they were afraid of what was going to happen to them. And then Jesus turned up among them and said, "Peace be with you," which is the perfect thing to say if you turn up and you've previously been dead, and now you're among people. You don't want them to say, "I am back for revenge." You want them to say. Peace be with you. And that's what Jesus said. And the disciples were all like, great, great to see you, Jesus. And they all caught up and saw that Jesus was alive, except Thomas was not there. Where was Thomas? Dunno. Maybe they ran out of milk. And they said, Thomas, can you go down to the shops and get some milk? It was like, sure thing. He went down the shops. Jesus turned up. He came back. They're like, Thomas, we just saw Jesus. And he was like, no, you didn't. They're like, yeah, we did. He's like, nah, you didn't. You're pulling my leg. And they're like, no, we saw Jesus. And so Thomas, he says to them, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now we're talking about the dumb things the disciples did. And Thomas regularly gets called doubting Thomas. But poor old Thomas, he He's not really doubting Thomas, like he didn't spend his whole life doubting. If someone said to Thomas, oh Thomas, we're going to have a good day tomorrow, he's not known for saying, oh I doubt it. (laughs) He doubted once, he doubted one time, he should be known as Thomas who once doubted. And what did he doubt? He doubted that Jesus had come back to life which, if you ask me, is a perfectly reasonable thing to doubt. Like there are some things that are not worth doubting. Like you shouldn't doubt whether the earth is round and you shouldn't doubt whether vaccines don't cause autism. Yeah, I'm trying to, They don't. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't... Okay? Those are things you shouldn't doubt. You should just be like, yeah, yeah, all right. But if someone says to you, this dead person has come back to life, you should be like, that doesn't sound right to me. Even if 11 other people tell you it, you'd be like, eh, I don't know. Like it's perfectly reasonable to doubt that. Thomas is not doing a dumb thing. Now I know that Jesus said he was coming back to life and maybe Thomas should have picked up on that. But none of the other disciples thought about that. So Thomas is just as much of a doubter as the rest of them. He just happened to be out at the shops picking up some milk or grabbing a kebab or I don't know what he was doing. He just wasn't there. And he missed out on it. And then it tells us, that a week, a whole week goes by where he, he is not believing that Jesus has risen from the dead and all his mates, they believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Poor Thomas. Like that must have been like the most lonely week of his life because everyone else was like, yeah, Jesus is alive! And he's like, I doubt it. I don't believe you because he's a rational guy. <laughs> Poor old Thomas. But then it tells us that a week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. He stocked up on milk. He says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And all the Anglicans said, and also with you. <laughs> and then... Thank <laughs> <Anyway. laughs> I, I love it that the only time I get applause is with an Anglican joke. Let's say, what is the world coming to? Look, tomorrow night, it's just going to be a whole set on the prayer book. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. All right, what are we talking about? So, and then, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side stop doubting and believe and thomas said to him my lord and my god then jesus told him because you have seen me you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed so thomas meets jesus and jesus shows him his hands and shows him his side and gives thomas the opportunity to verify that Jesus really is alive and we don't know if Thomas actually stuck his finger in the holes or put his hand in the side my guess is he didn't because if you meet someone with a physical disfigurement you probably shouldn't touch it even if you demanded it before and then they offer it to you because they're very polite you should be like no I got it it's fine This is the same way like, you know, like you shouldn't give the queen a noogie. Like you don't touch Jesus in his scars. But the point is that Jesus was giving to Thomas exactly what he asked for. Thomas doubted and then Jesus came to meet him in his doubts and to give him the answers that he was looking for. And then he called him to faith. And Thomas went from the one disciple who was doubting Jesus' resurrection to the first person in the Gospel of John to recognise exactly who Jesus is and call Jesus Lord and God. Now that's a pretty good, uh, good thing for Thomas to be able to do. That Thomas has moved from being the only guy to doubt to the only guy to confess Jesus as God himself. And then Jesus says this great thing to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. And I think this passage has some things for us tonight. And I think it's got some things to say to us about doubt. Because we are all in a position where we have not seen Jesus. Not physically, like we might have seen him uh, because we've seen him in the Bible. We might have seen him because we've met him through the Holy Spirit who has come to live in us. You might have even seen Jesus in a dream if you're very, very blessed. But physically, we have not seen Jesus. And so we are in a similar position to Thomas. And we might have doubts. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time tonight. We're going to talk, I'm going to talk to those of you who are not Christians. Christians. And what doubt might mean for you. And then I'm going to talk to the rest of us who are Christians and what doubt might mean for you. And then we're going to be done. And so if you are someone who isn't a Christian, then you might be in the position, kind of like Thomas, where you're not sure if Jesus did rise from the dead. Or you're not sure if the things that we've been talking about here are true. And where you want some proof And where you're like, if Jesus can't turn up and he can't show me the nail marks, he can't show me where he was speared in his side, he can't show me that, how can I actually believe that this is true? And I think there are some good reasons that we can believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm going to tell you just a few of them, some of the ones that I find convincing. One is that the disciples were totally changed uh, after Jesus' resurrection, so we know that Jesus died, like historians are very happy to say that Jesus died, that he, he died, but then whether he came back to life, that's the big question. Well, the disciples, when he died, they went and we read, they locked themselves in a room, they were afraid. But then something happened, that they then went out and they told people about Jesus, that he had come back to life. They told people that Jesus was a resurrected king of the world. And they told people this again and again and again. And they went out into the world to tell people about this. You don't do this if it's not true. Now, you might do it if it would make you rich. And you might do it if it would make you powerful. But it didn't make the disciples rich and it didn't make them powerful. It got them beaten up. It got them thrown in jail. It got them tortured. And for most of them, it got them killed. You don't do that for a lie. At some point, one of those 12 men and all those other people who who saw the resurrected Jesus and went out to preach about him, at some point, one of them would have said, no, we made it up. Because you don't die for a lie, but you do die for a man who has come back to life. The the other thing is that uh, when Jesus had risen from the dead and the disciples went out and were telling everyone that Jesus had risen from the dead, When they were doing that, the authorities could have said, this is not true. They were feeling threatened by this new movement. They could have said, oh, we'll come and we'll show you Jesus' body. But they couldn't produce Jesus' body because it wasn't there. If Jesus' body was there, they would have brought it along. So there's another reason. Another one uh, is that in 1 Corinthians, you see the Apostle Paul talks about the different times that the resurrected Jesus turned up to people and people witnessed the resurrected Jesus in person. He he turned up to the apostles. He turned up to his brothers. He turned up to to Paul. And he turned up to, Paul says, 500 people at once. And of those 500 people who turned up, when he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians... Uh, most of them were still alive. So he's saying, you can go and check with them. You can go and ask if this is true. Because you can't get 500 people to lie about this thing. It's like if tonight I decided to do a very special trick for you, because I'm like, it's Friday night, it's time for a performance. So I pulled out a knife, and then I chopped off my arm. And then I'm like bleeding everywhere, and you're like, this is the worst preach ever. <laughs> but then, like, brrr, I grow my arm back. You'd be like, whoa, That's amazing. But imagine, say, that you didn't come to Sut's tonight and everyone else saw that happen. And then you saw someone, you know, afterwards and they're like, you're like, how was Sut's? And they're like, it was weird because the preacher had like chopped off his arm and then it grew back again. And you'd be like, that didn't happen. But then you go and you see Lars down at the shops and Lars like, how are you going? We missed you at Sut's, And you're like, how was it? He's like, oh, well, there's a lot of blood on the carpet but I'll tell you what, the preacher chopped his arm off and then it grew back again. You'd be like, eh, I don't know if that's true, but two people have told me now. But then say you talk to every single person in this room and all of them, and then you talk to the people on YouTube, hello, YouTube people, and they were like, yeah, we saw it too. And everyone says, we saw this guy chop his arm off and it grew back again. You'd be like, maybe there's something in this because you can't hide it from all those witnesses. And then the last thing is that when you look at the growth of the Christian church, that it just exploded after Jesus' resurrection. That thousands and thousands of people became Christians within the lifetime of people who could go and check. And, and so many people became Christians that eventually, within about 300 years of Jesus' resurrection, it had even taken over the Roman Empire. That doesn't happen If something extraordinary like a man coming back to life didn't happen, now you might be hearing all this as someone who hasn't committed yourself to Jesus, and you'd be like, "Yeah, okay, I hear all that, but I still have doubts. I'm still not sure about everything in the Bible, or I'm I'm still not sure, you know, if I if I like all the things that I read that God does in the Bible, or." You might be like, oh, I don't know about this prayer thing. Or, I don't know. You might have lots of different questions. And that's okay. Because what we see in the life of following Jesus is that you don't have to have all your questions answered. When Jesus turned up to Thomas... He didn't sit down with him and say, all right, tell me every question you've got, I'm going to answer them. And then when you've got all your questions answered, then you can become a Christian. No, he showed him his resurrected self. He showed him that he was alive. And then he called him to stop doubting and to believe. And you might be feeling right now that you have to respond to Jesus. That maybe you don't have all your questions answered. But in here, you're feeling cold. Because if there is a man and he died and he rose again, then he is not just any man, but he is God himself. And his death is not just any old death, but it is a death that works for you and for me so that we can be forgiven for the sins that we have done, the way that we have rebelled against God. His death is effective in winning us forgiveness. His death is effective in winning us a place in God's family so that we can be his children. His death is effective in bringing us new life. And his resurrection is one that we will join in at the end of time. You do not have to have all your questions answered to give your life to Jesus. All you need to know is that you have met the resurrected Jesus in your heart and he has called you to give your life to him. And if you are feeling that, if you're feeling convicted by God that you need to deal with your sin and you need to give your life to this Lord and God, then tonight is the night to give your life to him. And so as I talk to the Christians after this, I want you to be talking to Jesus and saying, is it me? that you are calling right now, and then I'm gonna give you a chance to respond. Now, Christians, you might be listening to this and saying, wow, isn't this a good story? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus turned up and he answered all my questions? If Jesus turned up and solved my doubts? Because my guess is that there are some of you tonight who are feeling like you've got some questions. Like, you've got some things that you wish God would answer for you. And if you don't have questions yet, as a Christian, they are coming. I can promise you that. And questions can be scary. They can be scary because you might have questions, and everyone else around you seems to be going really well. Like, Thomas with the disciples, everyone else seemed to you know, have seen the risen Jesus, but you are at this point where you're like, I've got questions and I don't know what to do with them. If you are feeling those questions or they're on their way, then what do you do with them? Well, I would say, ask them. Because if you bottle up your questions, if you pretend that they're not there, if you pretend that you are not doubting and everything is fine, then it's just going to go bad for you. And we can feel like we shouldn't doubt. We can feel like we shouldn't have questions because if we have questions, then what is everyone going to think of us? What are our parents going to think of us if we tell them that we're not sure if God is real? What's our youth pastor going to say if we tell them that we're not sure that that everything in the Bible is good? What's going to happen to us if, my, if our friends find out that, that, we, that we've been sinning and we're not sure if God loves us? And we we'll bottle up inside because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us. But if you do that, it's just going to eat you up. Some of you who have eaten with me this week know that I am a celiac which means that I have a terrible, terrible, life-threatening disease, which means that I can't eat gluten. I was going to list things off, but it's just gluten. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But in gluten, I can't eat wheat, barley, oats, and rye, which means that I can't eat... Donuts, and I can't have yummy burgers, and I can't eat Milo, and I can't have uh, bread, and I can't have some vitamin C tablets. There's a lot of things that I can't eat. <laughs> and and for a, a lot of my life, you know, there are a lot of people around me in my family who had celiac disease. My dad's got celiac disease. I've got a bunch of aunties with celiac disease. I've got a bunch of cousins with celiac disease. Even my adopted little sister has celiac disease. I don't know how that happened, but it it happened. And so people would say to me, they're like, Tom, maybe you've got celiac disease. And I'm like, I don't know, and I don't want to know. Because if I have it, then it's going to ruin my life. And I want to keep eating gluten. So I didn't find out. For years, I avoided doing anything to find out but then some things started happening to me. Every now and then, I'd get, you know, a stomachache, and then I'd get very well acquainted with the toilet for a while, and then I'd you know, get better, and I'd be like, great, and I'd move on, and I'd forget that it ever happened. But then that started happening more and more, and I started losing weight. And instead of it happening like every few months, it started happening every month, and instead of it happening every month, it started happening every two weeks, and then it was happening every week, and my, now wife, who was my then girlfriend, was like, Tom, maybe you should get a test from the doctor. And I was like, maybe you should be quiet. <laughs> but eventually it got to the point where it was, it was the week before my wedding, and, uh, and I'd gotten sick, uh, it was actually the night before my Bucks night, I'd gotten sick that night, and so the next morning I woke up. And I was like, oh, I've just been sick, so I better just eat something, you know, normal. So I had a piece of toast with Vegemite on top, which is just gluten covered in gluten. And I ate that, and then my brother-in-law, who proposed to my sister at uh, New Year's Eve, he and I went to Costco to pick up some stuff for the wedding. And as we were getting closer and closer to Costco, I was feeling worse and worse. My, like, stomach was, like, in knots, and I was, I was like... I was like lying in pain. I was sweating, and then I was cold, and I was sweating, and then I was like, "You go into Costco, I'll just lie here." And so I stayed in the car, and I was lying there. I was like, "How long is he going to take?" And I didn't know, but I was dying. And then, and then eventually, I was lying there. I was like, "If he doesn't turn up soon, I'm going to explode." And then he was like, "He didn't turn up soon." I was like. I'm gonna explode. So I hopped out of the car and I, I, ran, I went to run into Costco, but then Costco has these like ramps to get into it and like, whoop, whoop, whoop. It's like as long as like the, the Great Wall of China if it was just made into an accordion. And so I'm running up and then I'm running and then I'm running and then eventually I went to Costco and they're like, like, where are the toilets? Like, you need a card to get to the toilets. Like, you need to be quiet. And then I ran to the toilets and I made it in there. And I won't tell you all the details, but let's just say, that if you go to, most people go to Costco to buy in bulk, I went to drop off in bulk. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, I am done. I will, f- I will get that test, I will find out. And I went to the doctor and I got a blood test and she was like, Tom, you have celiac disease and you have had it for a very long time. And so I had to change my life. I had to face up to the, these, this fact that I was afraid of facing and I faced up to it and my life changed and I can't eat donuts anymore. But the good thing is that I can stay alive and I'm much less likely to get bowel cancer, so that's a win. And, and I didn't want to face it because I was afraid of what would happen. But by not facing it, it was worse for me than actually being honest about what was going on for me. And if you are facing doubts, Don't pretend that you don't have them. If you've got questions, don't pretend that they are not there. Don't put on a happy face to all the people around you and pretend that everything is fine because as you bottle it up, it'll be worse for you. And you might be afraid of how people respond. But look at how Jesus responds to Thomas. When Jesus turns up, he doesn't say Thomas. Why are you doubting? You have no place in my kingdom. Get out. Now he's gentle. And he's kind. And he gives Thomas what he wants. And then he calls him to stop doubting and to believe. And for you, as you face your doubts, know that Jesus is going to do the same for you. He is not angry at you. He doesn't want to punish you. He's not going to kick you out of his family because you have questions. In fact, the promise that Jesus makes uh, in Matthew chapter 7 is he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If you're willing to ask your questions, then Jesus is willing to give you the answers. And you might not get them in a week like Thomas did. You might not get them in a month. You might not get them in a year. You might not even get them before you die. But they are out there and they are coming. And just because you've got questions doesn't mean that you aren't part of God's family. And just because you've got questions doesn't mean uh, that God is angry at you. Even if they seem like the worst kind of questions, there's nothing wrong with questions. So ask your questions. Seek the answers. And if you don't find the answers, that's okay. You can keep doubting and you can also believe. Because the truth is that sometimes doubts and belief just have to live together. Because Jesus is not about knowing all the answers. Jesus is about knowing the king of the world who rose for you. And if you know him, then he's big enough to have your questions and to have you as part of his family with him. Thanks for listening. I hope that was helpful for you. If you want to get your hands on a dozen disappointing disciples or check out a free sample, head to tomfrench.com.au forward slash disciples. You can also find my other books, videos, and more also at my website. So feel free to check it out, and don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast, so that other people might be able to discover it. Till next time, have a good one.